The human male never seems to progress past adolescence. To the Batmobile. Googly, googly. Let's go. Danger. Let's go. I need a horse. Did they quit taking? You wouldn't like me when I'm wrong, 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 you know. Yeah. Hello, darling. You really want to do it, Dave? I mean, listen, it's about time we had a guest host for the welcome. Welcome, <laughs> Amos. To the comic. Tr- no, I'm not gonna. Do it. All right, fine, Dave. Do it. Steal my thunder. I'm not gonna steal your thunder, man. I, I know it means a lot to you. As much as I'd like to do it, this All is All right, you. how about I'll, every word I say, you just repeat it. I'm not going to do that. Why That's not? obnoxious. Well, I mean, we're, our podcast <laughs> is mostly that, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing anyway, so you, I have, like, no idea what I'm about to say. Welcome to the comic trope. Now you're just making fun of me. You're not even doing it yourself. You're just like being a, a better No, rip-off. no, 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 no. Listen, but that's what you do, right? You're kind of a circus voice. Well, that's actually just kind of what it's evolved into. <laughs> it, it, I didn't notice it sounded like a circus thing until Amos started clowning on me. Let's uh, do an icebreaker. Welcome to the comic trope. We're in a small room surrounded by ice trays. Butts. No, wait, are you making an interjection? Are you saying that they asses, it doesn't matter? Asses are near us. Asses are all around us. They too are blue like the ice cubes. <laughs> See, it's not easy, is it, guys? Is it? <laughs> I can think some shit up. <laughs> Blake <laughs> socks are inappropriately festive for late April. Um, what the fuck are those? They're, they're golf balls. They're golf, golf balls. They're golf. No, what? no, they're screws. I thought it was Christmassy. Never no, mind. They're screws. They're and blue bolts. and bolts. Because I'm a robot. Because today on the comic trope, we're going to be reviewing and talking about Tom King's The Vision. Mm. They came out mm-hmm, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> it, it was good. But hey, the comic trope is a podcast about. Comics and the culture that surrounds it. I, me, Blake, invite friends such as Secretive Amos. <laughs> Say hello, Secretive Amos. He doesn't want to reveal that one. <laughs> Encyclopedia Black Sequoia himself and Festive Dave are with me today. <laughs> AKA <Festive> Dave. <laughs> Mrs. Bitches. Is that what you go by? Mr. Now? Bitches. Oh. Why would I go by Mrs. Bitches? Why would Blake? you go by Mr. Bitches? <laughs> Mrs. Bitches sounds like some delicious cookies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Oh. Bitches. Home baked oatmeal cookies. I can't break up with her because Mrs. Bitch has got the cookies for Wait, the days. I, I got to ask you a question, though, Sequoia. This yeah. came up recently with, uh, well, not recently, maybe about four or five months ago. I was talking about how much I enjoyed oatmeal raisin cookies, and I was informed by a friend of mine um, who was a black man that black people don't eat oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> I'll eat any fucking cookie that comes across my path. Listen, I don't discriminate. I regulate every shade of that cookie. I tell you what, I don't eat are like sugar cookies. Oh man, I love sugar cookies. Maybe that's a. a white so if they have thing. like granulized sugar on them, definitely. But if they're just like them broke ass like sugar cookies that look like gingerbread cookies, yeah. you know what I'm talking no, about? Snickerdoodles is what you're talking about. No, I'll fuck with snickerdoodles, but I'm talking about granulized sugar on my sugar cookies. But what about those free ones from Harris Teeter? That the little, the little dragon box. Those are so good. My kid likes them. I always, I, I'm always that parent that gives her like the the sugar free one. Oh yeah, she hasn't figured it out if yet. You, I usually grocery shop in the evenings, like around like eleven or midnight, and the kids have all eaten the good cookies. Mm-hmm. So it's just those bullshit ass. You still eat one? Sh- I still you? eat one, <laughs> motherfucker. You know I do. I'll tell you, I'll say this real quick. But the key is to oatmeal raisin cookies is 
<clears throat> if they're soft, chewy, yeah, yes, oh, I yeah, think okay. most black yeah, folks would get down on them. But if they're hard ass <laughs> oatmeal raisin cookies, the hell with them. Well, I thought it was surprising. I was like, I don't want you to speak for all of of black America and that you would not eat an oatmeal raisin cookie. I just think it's a personal preference on his yeah. behalf. I'm going to start speaking like for all white people. <laughs> Am I allowed to do that? Listen, we uh, we have. I a, thought you were uh, going to say you were going to speak for all of black America. <laughs> that could only go. Well. Hey, everybody, Blake from the comic show here. I speak for all of black America. Yeah. I'm Curious. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this, is, are we going to be doing the? Uh, it's just like go on. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more. 2017 racial draft white for the black caucus spokesperson. What else did the high council say? <laughs> the high council. Is that like a marijuana joke? Ooh, I don't think so. No. Hey, let's do some icebreakers. An icebreaker. So here's my icebreaker for you guys. You get whatever power you want, like that power, that comic book power that you're like, that we've all sat down and had deep conversations about, like, okay, you only get one power. What is it going to be? You know, that question that happens, but here, here's the monkey paw. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have to be a different color. What color would you pick? And now let me preface before this gets into weird racial shit. I'm obviously talking about like rainbow colors. I don't want to get into it like, well, I'd be Asian. I don't want to have oh. like that. Yellow. Yeah. Stop. I don't want to have that. I mean like bright ass, my little Primary pony. Colors. Oh, you want to be a Care Bear. Yeah, I'm not saying no, no, that no, I want to no, be. No, I'm yes. not saying, but yeah, but we would be Care Bearish colors. Carola. So, Feel free to tell me, like, your power if you wish, but it's not necessary because, really, I want to know what color would you pick because Vision and his family are a primary color. Yeah, um, kind of a pinkish red. Yeah, they're, yeah they've got kind red. of a pinkish hue to them. Also, yeah. let the internet know. Mm, fuchsia. I don't see colors real well. Oh, so really? So I just assumed they were red, but now I have found out that they are, in fact, pinkish. Which is fine. Well, it depends on who's coloring him. Yeah, that's true too. Because I mean, Paul Bettany in the Avengers movie movies are is very red. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let me start off. I personally, I I'm just gonna say Doctor Manhattan. I want those powers, and I'll take blue. You'll take blue. I don't want my dick hanging out. But. That's true. <laughs> I mean, he could have worn some pants. I mean, he's. I, I get that he's transcended. You yeah. Know, clothes. But he also must have a pretty decent working knowledge of the way in which people respond to him when he speaks to them based on whether or not his dick is out. So yeah. that might have been a clue for him to put on some pants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's pretty ripped, too. He was. He was shredded. Especially, you know, Billy Crudup. Yeah. Ripped. Fresh off of Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. No, nah, it was like like eight years between those films. So Sequoia's going with blue. <laughs> Amos. Tope. Tope. <laughs> He would be a Birkenstock. <laughs> that shit is taupe. Now, what color is taupe again? I don't remember. Isn't it like beige? Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a natural like brownish like light brown color. Yeah. Again, really looking for primary colors here. Is taupe primary? Well, there's only three. Well, that's true. Four. There are three primary colors. What's the fourth? It's red, blue. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, are we talking about the spectrum, the color spectrum, or are we talking yeah, about? I guess that was. I, I guess it was go with the color spectrum. I'm not a colorologist, guys. Red, yellow, blue, green. No. Green's not a primary. Green is color. yellow and <laughs> blue. Mixed. Those are complementary <laughs> colors. 
All right. Well, then or secondary colors. Either way. Secondary colors. Right. <clears throat> Complementary colors are like orange and blue. They're across from each other on the wheel. Damn. Damn it. Being colorblind is so fucking difficult. All right. All right I'm going to go with mauve then. Is that like a nerdy, like, is that like saying, um, I don't teal? know. I don't know. Really- I, just, I know it's a color, but I don't know what it is. Listen, my superhero would be named Roy G. Biv Marquis, and I would <laughs> rap and bring all people from across all walks of life and spectrums together through my rap songs. And you'd be a rainbow. I'd also, I would also know how to read, so I would be slightly one up on Biv Marquis. Mm-hmm. Bismarcky doesn't know how to read. Uh, not until, uh, well, I mean, not, I would say. You heard recently. it here first. Bismarcky, <laughs> he illiterate. Was, he was in his late 20s before he could read. Is that yeah, why, he, like, every time he beatboxed it, he would always kind of, like, slip and I can't read? We'd be like, I can't read. I can't read. He's not Rozell. Oh. Yeah, come on. I mean, you. Best friend. No, I can't read. Oh, much So I like to just pretend. So I like to just be crazy. Oh, baby, you. No, I can't. No, I can't read. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is true. He, he could not read it. He was, it was a de- decent amount of time after he had gained notoriety and fame. Uh, but yeah, I would be Roy G. Biv Marquis. And I would, what would happen is, is that whenever I would like sing in a different key or switch things up to a different, uh, like subject matter, I would turn a different hue. Mm. I'd be like a strobe light of bedazzled colors and shit. Um, what would you be, Blake? I think my power would be that I could turn everyone any color I want. <laughs> and I would turn everyone purple or blue. I would turn everyone blue and make them live in small mushrooms. I was going to say, is that like that episode of the Smurfs with the uh, the, the, pur- Smurfs? the purple Smurf mm-hmm. who's biting everybody's tail and turning them? Oh yeah, he's biting everyone. It was a bla- we learned that it was, was like a the, black Smurf in the comic. In the yeah, comic it was originally a black Smurf who was attacking mm-hmm. everyone. It was like a zombie episode, right? right yeah, yeah, pretty much. Ganap, ganap. What was uh, what was the the original name of the Smurfs in their native? Uh, was it Dutch? Uh, no. Uh, Belgium. Belgian, right. Belgian. Yeah. Uh, Le Strumps. Oh, the Strumps. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did like a whole half episode on that shit. Mm-hmm. Those were good episodes. They were free form as fuck, but, uh. And you can't really listen to it because it sounds like we're recording in like a <laughs> hallway. I had a friend who's been working backwards through our podcast. He's like, yeah, I got to like 22 and stopped. Yeah, <laughs> you should. Anyone who's listening to this, just listen to the last four or five. Nah, nah, we, it's been longer than that. We ain't cereal. Um, no. I do like cereal, though. But if I were, I'd be Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch is good. Frosted Flakes is a good question. What uh, cereal mascot would you be? Oh. I'm that Smacks Frog. Was, uh, was (laughs) it, it, is it because you've been addicted to heroin for like three or four years? Dig them Smacks. As it was. Yes, Blake, thanks. Was it, was it Dork? Was it Dork Comics? Mm -hmm. Um, Evan Dorkley that did the. Evan Dorkley, yeah. He did the, um, the, where are they? Where now? are they now? Mascots. Yeah, and it was like the not punchy from Hawaiian Punch, but the old tourist man, like the bald guy with like the Hawaiian shirt on. Like, yeah. what happened to him? Oh, Wait. diabetes, right? Uh, no, he he was like an alcoholic, and he ended up drowning on his boat. 
<laughs> after mixing too much gin with punch. Uh, but there was like a whole like list of these characters that were like serial mascots from like the fifties and sixties and shit that like haven't been seen in years. And he gave like a backstory to what happened to them. There are a lot of serial mascots out there. I'd be Count Chocula, obviously. Who me? Yeah. I don't like chocolate though. But you What? Love- I don't like chocolate. I'm the sorry. Fuck? Yeah, well you learn something new about me every day. Oh my god. I now, sure I- do love raisins in my cookies, but don't <laughs> give me chocolate. <laughs> now I do like chocolate chips and cookies. So you like nothing made of chocolate? That's that's not entirely true. I just would not eat chocolate. Like I'm not gonna eat a fudge sickle or a brownie or anything like that, um unless they had <laughs> weed in it. Uh Damn. Get me there. Come for the weed. Leave for the brownie. Uh, I, no, I will eat chocolate chip cookies. I, I, York peppermint patties I love, but that's because it's like 90% peppermint. Yeah, yeah and that because when you bite in a York peppermint patty, you feel like you're skiing the slopes of Antarctic. <laughs> There's no slopes That in makes me think about uh, Eddie Murphy in, what was it, Delirious, where he talks about Larry Holmes doing the York peppermint patty commercial. When I when I bite into a York peppermint patty, I get the thimthation. That's a funny word, isn't it, thimthation? <laughs> that I'm running down the side of a mountain and it's snowing outside and I'm butt naked and little children is sprinkling cool ice water on my cheeks. <laughs> oh, Eddie Murphy. Rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. Mm. A little bit of silence for that guy. Yes. But not too much. Let's talk about comic books, guys. <clears throat> yeah, let's do that. So, we've decided, and I don't... Did I ask, or did Sequoia ask? Sequoia suggests... Well, I mean, we've... You've recommended it. I mean, that's a book yeah. that you've had high praises for as it was coming out. Yeah, and I didn't read it till after the fact when it was all collected. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I can say that you know, yeah, the high praise is very well deserved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, let's read this. How did this book do from a commercial standpoint? I think it did okay. Yeah, I'm hoping that you know down the road it'll do better. I mean. You know, that's the thing with Marvel. Marvel, they don't have those singular books that are like one and done, like, you, you know, like Watchmen or V for right. Vendetta or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, they've got seminal runs of ongoing comics. Closest you get normally is like an <clears throat> annual that's got like a self-contained story or something in it. That's not even the case anymore. I mean, back in the day, yeah. But, yeah. yeah really, you so. get maybe one of those a year now. And they're very forgettable. I think, I think the vision is something that's going to need to be, you know, did you ever praised get, for a long time to come? Did you ever get more than one annual a year? Well, for different, um, yeah, for different, different books. books. Oh, well, sure, yeah. No, but that's yeah, what I meant. But like now, no. you're seeing that. Yeah. Now you're seeing that you there's like an X Men annual, and then that's it. Like there wasn't an Amazon, like a like a cable uh, annual, like a, or an an Avengers annual or a Deadpool annual. Well, Star Wars does annuals too <clears throat> now, which is great because the Star Wars annuals are actually really good. Well, a long time ago, Marvel just kind of realized there was no point in doing annuals. It's like it's just another issue to put out and you know, annuals used to be where they had their big crossovers right, and stuff yeah. and events, but now it's like pff, whatever. Why sell one book when you can sell 53? Yeah, you sell one random issue of Deadpool and charge people 10 bucks for it. So, yeah, it's no point in doing an annual. I do like the way that they've handled annuals with the Star Wars series, though, mm-hmm. because they do cross over several books in their annuals and then they will bring them back randomly like a year later. Like, yeah. like things that happened, like in the, the one-off annual. That first annual that had the side story with, uh, the, the undercover rebel operative on Coruscant. 
Yeah, 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 was fucking awesome. And he comes back in like the fourth or fifth story arc of the the main series, yeah. and you weren't expecting it because it had been seven months since you read that issue. So, yep. so anyways, all of this to say that uh, Vision is not an annual; it no. is a twelve part miniseries put out over the course of a year. And you know, the crazy mm-hmm. thing about it, I know a lot of people who read that book, you know, felt like, man, this could have really gone on longer. But I feel like twelve issues is pretty damn sweet to tell a nice, succinct story. Yep. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about it and I didn't realize this, but you know, it's not necessarily that Tom King decided to wrap it up at 12 issues. Basically the story is, I don't know how true it is, but he was uh, forced off the book and told to wrap it up within 12 issues. And cause shortly after is when he went exclusive to, to DC. DCC, yeah. yeah. And they canceled all his other books. Yeah. I don't think he had any other Marvel book other than Vision that he was putting out at the time, though. Was he, well, doing like a, he was doing a Mega Man for DC at the same time. Yeah, yeah this was the only Marvel book he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he announced on um, issue four that he was going uh, to DC for exclusive. So I'm not sure if he... <clears throat> in, in interviews that I read, he said that it was supposed to be like a small arc. Yeah. But he never said 12 issues. And 12 is a, is, it's a weird number. Um, but it does have, it does have a distinct two arc storyline. And I think that the, that it, it wraps up pretty nicely. I mean, we can get to the ending. It's a little, it's a little weird, the last comic, but I think that overall the tone, um, welcomed a, a brisk ending because yeah. how, I mean, really how many, how many <laughs> issues can you have? that are consistently this kind of dark and somber in a broken family. But before we get into the storyline, I'm actually not too familiar with Tom King other than this and Omega Men. I'm not uh, familiar with Tom King because the guy's fairly new to the scene. I mean, the most I know about him is that he, uh, Scott Snyder was the one who kind of, you know, opened the door for him to come in and uh, start doing comics. Um, I think along with what James Tinian, the fourth. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, he's one of Snyder's boys and such. But yeah, as far as I know, he's pretty new to the scene. Well, the storyline for Vision is pretty simple at its uh, at its core. Vision is lonely for the most part and kind of really wants to understand what having a family is kind of all about because he's trying to become, in, a, in his own way, human. Um, so he creates a family through memories and we find out later in the book parts of Scarlet Witch to uh-huh. make his wife and children. Mm-hmm. He buys a home in Arlington, Virginia, and he works a nine to five. His children go to a school in Arlington, Virginia, and his wife is a stay at home mom. Right. So it's a very 1950s style family, um, a model that is not uh, standard today. So it, it kind of mirrors the, I don't want to say Archie Bunker, but like, Revolutionary Road. There you go. That's what it reminded me very much of. And so it's about um, <clears throat> this family trying to kind of grow up being normal when they're absolutely not normal because they're androids. Right. And it's about how they fit and do not fit in the neighborhood that they live in. Would you guys, is that setting the scene it enough? Seems pretty succinct yeah. to me. I think the note I made was uh, extraordinary beings attempting to be mundane. Yes, was what I what I wrote down. Taking the extra out of extraordinary. What did you guys think about the art 
high level. Did it match the the story for yeah. you guys? What I really liked about the book was uh uh Gabriel Walters uh Gabriel Walters Walters covers. Because I, I thought they were really kind of cute, tongue in cheek. Like yeah. you know, there's the, I think the second issue or uh, where the cover is um, was it Virginia, the wife trying to sweep the remains of uh, the Grim Reaper under, under the, the rug. Under the rug, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it was really funny. The uh, the issue that has the uh, the uh, Vin in the trash can. Mm-hmm. Was really really good. Here lies a vision. Yeah, and it's just in the garbage with all the parts kind of stacked up together. The floating mailbox. Yep, with the little you know mail symbol on the um, flag, mm. which I saw on Twitter and I retweeted it. Um, someone turned into like a, a moving GIF, so it just kind of floats <laughs> oh, like very yeah. Jetson style. Real neat. <laughs> exactly. Good job. It's powered by sprockets. <laughs> Manufactured by Space League. What I was really impressed with in the first um, issue was how everything seemed very third person, even though it's not really written in third person. Also, we should probably mention who narrates it. Well, yes, it's the the first story arc is entirely narrated by uh, Agatha Harkness or the ghost of Agatha, Agatha Harkness, which for those of you who aren't familiar. With that character, um, she's you know a supernatural character, sort of a, a witch mentor to Scarlet. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> ties to the the whole uh, land of Wondagore and high evolutionary, all that crap. You know the weird animal headed people. Mm-hmm. If you know any of that stuff, and you totally don't need to know that for for this. And it doesn't, and I don't even think that that ties in very strongly to the the arc of the book until like the very last comic where she shows up. Yeah, and she's – well, I won't get into that, but she's relaying the story to somebody else. But, I mean, it kind of gives that storybook narrative, you know, like that you would see on something like, say, uh, I guess case in point would be Desperate Housewives. That entire show, or at least I only watched the first season of it, was narrated by a deceased character mm-hmm. who had all this insight into all these people's lives, what they were doing in secret, what they were thinking, how they felt. So it, it's it kind of gives this storybook narrative. Are you judge? Are you looking at me judging me for watching Desperate Housewives? No, I'm like, isn't that a reality show? Desperate Housewives? No, you're thinking of the Housewives of Orange real, County or that's, whatever okay. the hell it is. I was like, how the hell is a you're, you're, dead person? That's a little uh, no. inappropriate. Okay, good. Yeah, how do those they do of you this? Can't see yeah. what's happening. I, Amos is cockeyed, staring at me like, what the hell? Yes, I watch. Well, that wasn't, season of that wasn't it, though. That, I just didn't know what it was. Mary his, Alice, that was the character saying. He but, uh, was practicing his crazy eye for, mm-hmm. for potential prison uh, incarceration. <laughs> oh, that's a really good crazy eye. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it gives, it gives you a lot of insight. That narrative gives you a lot of insight. And, you know, it kind of lets you know as perfect as things may seem on the, on the surface, there's trouble boiling, boiling below. Um, you you asked about the art style, and the art style for me is very much. What's um, the right word here? It very much invokes the 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 tone that they're going for with the book, right? It it makes me feel that some of these individually, especially the covers, as Sequoia mentioned, some of these individually could very well have been paintings potentially in 1958 that hung on a wall in a home like this. The art style isn't perfect. Right. There's not a lot of defined lines. 
there isn't a lot of and, and like you know thick black lines that show the outlines of of things it's very much just it's kind of like a real soft painting in, in a lot of in, in in ways, and it reminds you of that time period. It's kind of fuzzy because you want to be looking at with rose tinted glasses, <clears throat> and as a result, rose is a is a tint and a, a shade that you see almost everywhere inside the book because mm-hmm. you're looking backwards and you're thinking fondly and warmly of something. Now, the the twist, of course, is that this is anything but as you, as the story goes on. But the tone, or at least the 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 color and the temperature of the the artwork, never changes. Yeah, which I think is fantastic because if it made the switch, it would almost have gotten too grim and too sinister. But the fact that it maintains that warm glow throughout the entire book is is really really fantastic, and I think it enhances the story a lot. And it's also very textured, even though it is warm. Mm-hmm. Like um, th- there's, it's almost like noir texture throughout the whole thing like there's a lot of bumps and a lot of um a lot of shadows when you reread it and i don't know if that's maybe like you knowing what's going to happen so you kind of project on the art but uh, the art's really well done and it never changes and that's good because Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you get halfway through an arc and the artist tries to interpret the story different or they have a switch in artists that kind of take you out of the book but i thought that it, it matched the tone really well and the storytelling, I thought was pretty, pretty well done. Cause going back and reading it a second time, when they introduce all of the items that are in the house, when some neighbors come over, they're items that are used in the last two, uh, in the last two books in the series to escape from, uh, from basically a locked home. Like, uh, Captain, there's Captain America's lighter from World War II. Then there's some liquid. There's the uh, like water, the, the floating water vase. Mace, yeah. There's the uh, Steinway piano made of pure vibranium. Yeah. From Wakanda, and then there's the uh, Everbloom tree from the base of Mount Wondegore. So those objects, I mean, even as you know, insignificant as they seem at the start of the story, they play a role, mm-hmm. you know, throughout. Um, but it, they're also there mm-hmm. to kind of signify. You know, when they invite their neighbors over who are just normal human beings, you know, they're in the home of these synthoids and they have these (laughs) extraordinary items that no other normal person would have in their home. Only an Avenger or somebody like that would have a possession. Yeah. It's so interesting that we have this family who is doing everything they can to fit in in this neighborhood and they don't realize that. They're, they, as in the visions, don't even realize that their peers who are superheroes don't fit in. Yeah. So to allow like other quote unquote normal people into their house, you know, they're trying to fit in this neighborhood, but <clears throat> they can't see that even the humans in which they work with don't fit in. Right. So the expectation there is like totally missed by the visions. Yeah. Um, right. And then also, this family, like if you just look, if you look at an, on an additional level, trying so hard to fit in really kind of speaks to suburban America. I feel like living in a home in a neighborhood, like there are definitely people who live near me that I just feel like, like try really, really hard to fit into cookie cutter image sets that aren't relevant anymore today, really. Mm-hmm. But like, just they really feel like it. You know, this is the way it was when I grew up. This is the way it should be for me. Right. And so, seeing 
androids do this kind of makes it makes that point blatantly obvious for I don't know my neighbors, not all my neighbors, but right. you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> there's a one line that I really like when they throw away the cookies. So the neighbors come over, and then they leave, and they bring them cookies, which obviously they don't eat because they don't eat. Well, there's a really great scene too with the husband and wife standing on the doorstep arguing about whether or not the man is like they they don't eat they're robots like why would they eat yep and she's like well then maybe they're fancy robots maybe they do eat and you know the visions are on the other side of the door waiting to open it and they're hearing this entire conversation yeah. right um but as it was getting to the scene that I, I really like was um when the visions say they seem nice it's it's proper to say they seem nice like that scene is like so cold. Yeah, Virginia says that they seem. Oh Lord, what was it? I think she says they seem kind. Kind and Vision Correct, corrects her and says, yeah. "No, it's appropriate to say that they seem nice." And they just go into this philosophical. Yeah, yeah, yeah just the, philo- the 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 this philosophical discussion about what's a more appropriate phase and how a phrase and how saying someone seems kind. Isn't appropriate because saying someone seems nice is more ironic. They might seem nice, even though in reality they aren't and they don't know. And that's the thing. And it's, it's such a weird back and forth, but it's, it's almost as asinine as the conversation that the older couple were having on their way to the house. Absolutely. Yeah. Just so unnerving. Like the whole thing, like they are like this first comic really brings home the fact that they aren't human. But they do it in, in ways that isn't it isn't kooky. It's just like weird and like very cold. And I think that it sets like for the rest of the eleven issues. The first issue really does a great job setting up like the family dynamics. It's it's great. Well, right off the bat, I mean, you get the indication that you know everybody has something to do except for Virginia, and she, you know she comes off as the most fragile mm-hmm. because you know when. Vision showing the, uh, the George and Nora around their house, you know, Virginia kind of slinks away and, you know, seems a little put off by everything. There's no real explanation as to why. Well, you also get a really great sense that in, in issue number one, that this is never going to work. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the narrator even tells you that it's not going to work. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. it's, it's reinforced repeatedly through the things that happen. Like it, it is at no point throughout the first issue. Do you think like, oh, okay, they could make a go at this. I wonder how it falls apart. There is no, I can't wait to see what undoes them. You're like, oh, well, obviously this is never going to work. Yeah. And I think you bring up something neat because <clears throat> the first episode we're shown over and over. It's not going to work. We're told it's not going to work, but from comic like two to seven, you really want it to work. Like the, yeah. <laughs> you get deeper into the characters, Viv and um, what's the son's name? Ven. Ven. Like they they start going to school. They have relationships, and then seeing people struggle in in high school and and middle school, like that's not not human. Like that's very human to struggle to get along with your peers and stuff like that. So that's not the like robot part. It's it's the fact that they fly around and stuff and, and how cold they are to each other at home. Like it's, it's just so, so weird. I love it. <laughs> I'll tell you what's weird. If they're the visions, is he now the vision vision? That's, I was thinking that earlier too. The fuck is that about? Yeah. He's vision. Well, it's vision. like the Mario brothers. Is it Luigi Mario and Mario Mario? And green Mario. 
Favorite comics in the uh, 12 run? My absolute favorite, I think, was issue seven, where they go back and they show the relationship. Between Wanda and, and Vision? Yes. It's or, right. If you don't know who Wanda is, the Scarlet Witch. How can that not be your favorite comic That in is here? the best damn It issue. doesn't even fit, really, in the arc. Like, So it's between the two arcs, basically, like for the most part. Well, you know, the thing is... When you're reading the story, Virginia automatically seems off and you don't quite know why. And it's in that issue when you find out what her flaw is. Yeah. Because, you know, the vision says, well, you know, I was made from the, uh, the memory or mind of Simon Williams, Wonder Man. I was created by Ultron. I made this family, you know, his Eve came from his rib was, you know, uh, uh, something a little extra he had some, uh, some other persons. He never mentions who initially whose uh, brain pattern he bases her on. And then they can, he combined her brain pattern and his to make the children. Mm-hmm. And that issue where they explain that basically the Scarlet Witch made a copy of herself to give to the vision and maybe someday make a mate for himself. That, that whole issue is just, you know, so heartbreaking. And I mean, you know, especially when you know, you know, post House of M and all that stuff, just how mentally unstable the Scarlet Witch is. But in that issue, you know, she's constantly pointing out, you know, you're wrong. You're the problem is yours. And it's just like this dude is just trying to do the best he can to cope. Yeah. And she she's pretty vicious to him. <clears throat> You mm-hmm. know, plenty of times. These aren't real story. children. Yeah, so it basically starts with uh their courtship when they first kind of get close to each other as members of the Avengers. And the thing is, you know, whether you're really familiar and steeped in Marvel or specifically Avengers history and all the major events and stuff that they've gone through, it touches on a lot of those things. Like when he recounts the 37 different times that he saved the world. Um, but even going through that issue, I mean, when he talks about, um, you know, the phase when the vision was white, when yeah. he comes back and he doesn't have memory of Scarlet, Witch or his kids as well. Yeah. He's like, I'm a new brain pattern, new body. I'm not your dad. Like, and, Oh man, you know, it like being, Having read all of those comics and reading this and seeing it like kind of capped off and shown from, I don't know, like a soap opera standpoint or like mm-hmm. a, I mean, it, it really makes you feel for both members of that relationship and how strange it was. It, it was a great. And then the toaster joke. The toaster joke. Oh, yeah. She's ca- constantly calling him a toaster, you know, jokingly, but then there's one time, she, a couple times she throws it at him and it's an insult. Yeah. Well, then they're sitting in bed and he gives the toaster joke. There's like two toasters are sitting on a counter. One toaster turns to the other toaster and asks, do you sometimes feel empty? Then the other toaster says, Oh my God, a talking toaster. And that's not a funny joke, but when you see the art and they're like on opposite ends of a king size bed and mm-hmm. there's like emptiness between them, as they're like telling this joke, like you can just, you've like see the, the overtones, I guess, of their relationship, like kind of breaking apart or, or seeing like how like strange and empty, like 
it really is. Well, know? so that's that's a that's an older joke, and the the context that it's used with here is again, like Sequoia was mentioning, with the fact that she calls him a toaster constantly, but they both laugh at it. Mm-hmm. They both find it funny, I, and she's the one who tells him, right? She says, "Oh, I got this joke that I heard from so and so the other day, right?" But then several issues later, he uses it with Virginia, his wife, yeah, and they both just lie there. And it's yeah. even more awkward. That seems like 10 times more awkward than that. And then the, she kind of nervously laughs. But it's it's very strange to think that, you know, that she's based on the, the brainwaves of someone who originally told Vision that joke. And now she's the one receiving it. And then you find out later that um, one of the reasons that she is so fragile, his wife, is that she has all these years been having memories and feelings of the relationship that Wanda had with Vision. So, holy shit, you're having like memories that aren't yours of being in love with a husband that you're married to, but it's of, you know, a different person. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And then we all know what happened. I mean, when Scarlet Witch lost her mind and all the events, like I said, of Avengers disassembled and eventually House of M. And even her book, I mean, it's about her trying to redeem herself, which. I almost want to go back and reread and see if they if there's any yeah. parallel there or correlation. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't think I ever read that one. I didn't either. Was that the most recent one that came out like last year and the year before? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was the most recent relaunch of Marvel titles. And, and the funny thing about, you know, reading this book, it is so, it's so different from everything else that Marvel's put out the last year, year yeah. and a half. I mean, it, it more or less reminds me of the type of stuff they would have put out, you know, around the turn of the century when they were trying to be more experimental. I mean, because this, Granted, it's got superhero characters in it, but it is not a superhero comic. 100% not a superhero comic. So it's not a superhero comic, but Tom King did such a good job of looping in previous stories to kind of let you appreciate it as... So you can read this and not have read any comic books and enjoy it Mm. because it's well-written. And it has lots of good callbacks that I think... You know, like I said, first first issue to last issue, there are callbacks that are very important for the arc. But on top of that... As we talked about episode seven with Scarlet Witch, it's just jam packed with like historical uh, Avengers stories, mm-hmm. and and then moving forward, even with his uh, cousin who ends up killing his his brother, yeah, his actually. brother, right? Yeah. So what is it? What is that? Victor uh, Mancha. Okay. Victor Mancha was a member of the was it Runaways? The Runaways. Yeah, Runaways. And basically, he was a teenage boy who was brought up thinking that he was he was human, and came to find out that he his mother is this sort of criminally insane person. She finds his, an Ultron head in a like a landfill, basically, and then she takes Ultron home, and he instructs her on how to do things and. Victor is Victor. A, yeah, Victor is the offspring of, of that. And he <laughs> was built uh, with the intention of becoming a trap for the Avengers. That basically the whole idea was that Victor would grow up to uh, ingratiate himself with the Avengers and eventually become a member and turn. Yeah, eventually turn them and kill them all. And he shows up in the book and is a, is a major plot point. Yeah. Um, I like how every 
every part of this is using previous Avengers stories that make sense in the larger Marvel universe, mm-hmm. but tells like a totally different story, like a very unique story for the vision comic book. Right. Yeah. And before I started reading this and as it kind of unfolded, you know, I had questions about whether or not this took place within the larger you know, Marvel universe, right? Is this something that has ties to other, you know, previous storylines? And that was a, a welcome surprise for me as it unfolded was, Oh damn, this is supremely steeped in, in, in previous Marvel history. And it doesn't at all take like a sideline where it's like, well, this is the thing that could have happened with the vision at some point. Cause on the surface, it very much seems that way. It seems like a, you know, not, it isn't DC, but like an else world kind of thing. What what if, what there if. was a wacky, yeah, like it's, it's a what if title. Yeah. What ifs? I, I can't read what ifs. So I'm so happy that it didn't turn out again i'm just like why am i reading this if it doesn't have any the one thing i like about the marvel universe is that if i read it it happens in the universe well and it still pretty much stands for a couple years yeah at least for a couple years yeah i mean but it still pretty much stands in current marvel continuity because i mean virginia she's not virginia but uh viv is still there she's a member of the champions yeah oh is the champions or now no she yeah she's with the champions Uh, i thought it was new avengers for some reason okay i don't read any of those Unfortunately, <laughs> which ones? All the new books, like New Avengers. Well, it's all right. Post uh, Post Secret Wars. Yeah, they sure made Squirrel Girl look weird, but uh, it's all right. Yeah, the champions. It's weird to see Viv outside of this book, though. Oh, I thought you were talking about New Avengers. Well, yeah, I mean, I was incorrectly so. What are your your overall thoughts on the book? We've talked a little bit about the art style. We've talked about the narrative. Um, I mean, we could get into the fact that uh, it continues to spiral out of control, and also it becomes heavily, heavily. Uh, we, we mentioned the the philosophical tones from the very first issue, but uh, right around the middle, where the children kind of start becoming their own persons and yeah. less like each other and less like their parents, right? They kind of spin off and become their own individual personalities. Uh, when Victor uh, is having that conversation with Vin about Shakespeare and, you know, Vin becomes very much, you know, just really ingrained and obsessed with, with, with Shakespeare and writing. Um, Viv becomes overly obsessed with the boy that she not, you know, she wasn't in love with him. Right. But she becomes like obsessed with this idea of him as a human being, right. a, a teenager, that sort of thing. And the way that each one of their obsessions, um, Virginia, obviously with keeping her family safe or because that's what she thinks she has to do essentially. And then vision with similarly, I'm the man of this family. I must protect this family at all costs as those things start to run together. You know, what did you think about the collision of all of that towards the end of the book? The the thing that I'll point out, like, you know, the, if you wind up getting the two trade paperbacks that comprise this story, um, volume one is titled little worse than a man and volume two is titled little better than a beast. And those are both quotes from uh, Shakespeare's mm-hmm. merchant of Venice, which pops up a lot. It does. Yeah. Vin in the story. Him. That's the, yeah, that's the Shakespeare play that uh, Vin gets obsessed with um, later on in the book. But you know, the important of merchant of Venice is the, um, the character of Shylock um, who is it? Shylock who's the, Merchant of Venice, the merch, the titular, the, the titular merchants. Yeah, I can't remember. But, the Venetian merchant. But basically, that play is where the whole 
you know, line of, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? And, mm-hmm. and that's a quote that's thrown out quite a lot when someone's trying to plead and we are the same. We are humans yeah. or whatever. And that's sort of the essence of this story. I mean, they're not humans, but they're trying their damnedest to be. They, I don't know if I can say they have feelings, but they definitely have desires. Well, it's well, also important that Vin was the one who became upset, obsessed with it because he's the one who ends up dying. Right. Well, he's the one early on in the book who's confronted by one of his classmates. You know, the one girl kind of innocently enough, you know, taps him in class and then writes on her notebook or maybe it's on her computer screen mm-hmm. and simple question. Are you normal? And that kind of rocks Vin's world because he's like, well, I've never thought about that. That kind of immediately launches that ship for him. Uh, and that's, that's something he thinks about throughout the course of the book, which, which puts him on, you know, the, the path that he takes throughout the remainder of the story. You know, it's, it's funny because, you know, in, in thinking about kind of how that all plays into it, he spends, the answer obviously is, is no, right? And as, as he considers the idea of, you know, am I not the same as you? Everybody else is just, no, you're not. And at, at no point in the story, really, uh, maybe except for just brief flashes, are they ever treated, right? Like, um, like in like normal people, right? That's, that's the irony of it all is that never at any point, really, there's a brief moment where, uh, Viv's classmate, the one that, um, CK, CK, right. Where, where he's like, well, maybe you could be normal. I think that would be cool. And that's why she latches onto that because that's one of the only places in the book where a character considers them normal, but you know, their neighbors never do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime that they're in conversation with them, even before they've done anything untoward, right. Yeah. They, they're immediately discounted as, as being synthetic. Right. Right. Um, the, the relationship with, uh, with Wanda, you know, she's in much of that relationship. She views him, even whenever she has feelings for him, she still views him as a thing right? more than anything else. And so there are such fleeting moments of this, uh, that you see them, uh, you know, kind of pleading with the rest of the world to try and give them a chance. And eventually they realize like, okay, so that's never going to be a thing. Um, and they all kind of come to that realization at different points and they react to it in different ways. What's interesting is that the vision, he never seems to outwardly want to be normal as much as he wants his family to be normal. Like he spends a lot of his time, like telling his children and his wife how to be something, but he himself never outwardly like tries to be something other than a superhero, you know? Well, it's almost the assumption that he's got this thing down. He's done this long enough. Yeah. Like he's got this thing together. And I guess to a certain point, he's not wrong in that. I mean, while vision is certainly not a human, he certainly has lived among humans long enough and understands their value. I mean, he saved the world 37 times. Right. Yeah. And he also talks about his motivation for doing so. Right. Uh, and, and what made him, you know, betray Ultron and, and all of that. He does go into some of those, those details, but it's really interesting to think that, okay, I've got this. Right. And in the end, he's almost the one that becomes unraveled more than any of them because he kind of betrays all that he formerly was after having made this family versus where he was before he had a family. Lots of little spins in it all, though. It's a it's a layered book. It's 
Very oh. cool to read twice. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'd love. To, I'll definitely go back and read it a second time. I think it's something that's definitely deserving of being both volumes put together in a hardcover. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Honestly, and I'm surprised Marvel doesn't praise it more, or try to push it more. It's kind of hard to praise or push something when the main writer went to your went to DC. I mean, what are you going to do? Like talk about how great it was and then Yeah, but regardless, my thing is even with DC, they put out that that you know, must-read list of DC graphic novels and Marvel doesn't do that shit. Yeah. Marvel's always moving forward, moving on, whatever that crap was that we did a year ago, to hell with it. You need to read Marvel now. And it's just like, hey, man, you got like a good back catalog of stuff. Like the only time there's any significance placed on any Marvel stories, graphic novels, trade paperbacks, what have you, is when there's a movie out. That is the only time that shit gets reprinted and, you know, Learn like, about hey, Guardians. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, Logan came out. Hey, everybody, you need to read Old Man Logan and Death of Wolverine. That's the only time that it matters. And then once Logan's made its theatrical run, then yeah, we move on to Guardians, and then we move on to Spider-Man, and then we move on to Thor, and it's just like, hey man, you've got some pretty decent stuff you should recommend to people. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty standout books. Uh, I had a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago that um, you know had he's like, I'm assuming you have, but you've read Origin, right? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like you know, any comic book reader that was reading books at the time or around that period read Origin. It was mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, he's like, do you have any recommendations for anything that are similar to that? Because I like reading self-contained stories. So I recommended Born. Yeah. And he wanted to know what that was. And I explained, I was like, well, it's kind of like Punisher's origin. And he read it. And he's like, how the fuck did I never hear about this? I love Punisher. I was like, well, unless you bought the fucking issues when they came out or that brief period where they sold a really thin hardcover of it. Mm-hmm. Why, how could you know about that? Because Marvel doesn't give a shit. Which, which one was that? Was that the Born one is, in Vietnam? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. It is a good book. I forget. The well, Punisher's been rebooted to be like from every other war, you know, from like World War well, II like to films and shit like that. They always try to go and take a, a different approach. For it. The worst was that Thomas Jane shit where he was in the Gulf War, the Desert Storm. <laughs> I think right now he like in continuity is from Desert Storm. Nah, I no, think he's now still it's, the, it's, it's Afghanistan. Yeah. And now it's Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah, or I mean, a lot of times they're vague about it. He but, was in the war. Yeah, but he I never think, came home the same. You I, know damn well what war. <laughs> but yeah, the I Falklands mean, War, Granada. <laughs> he's not a British. So what if there was a British Punisher? There is. He wouldn't have a gun. Um, He'd just beat people to death. There is uh, with a whacking stick. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the outlaw. What? what they call him the British Punisher or something? Who? It's in it's in contest. Blah. It's in contest of champions. I had never heard of him before. Oh. It sounds like you're making this shit up. No, I didn't make it. I didn't make it up. Is he with British Spider Man and um? Wait, no. is contest of champions that game? Well, on, they, on made, iOS? they made they made a comic, comic right, right, based on right, the game. But, yeah. Isn't that weird when like you're you're playing a video game based on a comic that you read and then they make a comic based on the video game based yeah. on the comic? Well, that one's weird too because that that comic I never bothered to read because it's it's a pretty out there kind of it almost feels like it was written specifically to in hopes that it would spawn some video games and shit. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty wild uh concoction, but um British Punisher. I mean, Garth Ennis is British. No, oh, he punch you in the face for saying is that. Is he shit. not British? No, man, he's Irish as fuck. Oh, right, but I he meant hates the British. IOF. That guy hates Oliver Cromwell, guys. <laughs> as well, any I mean, good Irishman up, should. He grew up in Northern Ireland when the shit was going down. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got beef, rightly so. So. 
Oh, wow. What? Why really? has he got a heart on his chest? That's just like a British Punisher. Oh, I have seen that guy. All right, what's that guy's name? And let's describe him. His name is Nigel Higgins. <laughs> and he's got a heart with crossbones through it? <clears throat> Nigel Higgins from Earth 616. His current alias is Outlaw. His other aliases are Neil Hibbs, British Punisher, <laughs> Pirate Punisher, and Pirate Sure. Pirate Sure? Wait, Pirate Punisher? Yeah, I don't know. Because it's Pirate Punisher. British Punisher. Nigel Higgins was inspired by Frank Castle to become England's version of the Punisher. He served as Castle and Microchip's contact in London when the Kingpin intended to use the English Channel to gather a united European crime syndicate. It just goes on from there. Jesus. So yeah, he's a British Punisher. Hanging out with Micro. Yeah, it just doesn't have the same feel. But, you know, honestly, I mean, I guess now, as bad as the current Iraq and Afghanistan war were, you know, there really was no substitute than other than putting the Punisher in Vietnam. So it's just what it meant. Yeah, for real. That's it's the only crucible where a character like that could have been formed. So, Robot Dog. Oh. <laughs> It's cute when it shows up, but how it gets there is probably the most horrific. Yeah. Probably one of, one of, cause there are a lot of horrific moments. Yeah. It's, in the story. Yeah, well, it's, it's also up there whenever he, he brings, uh, Viv back to life. I mean, like that's, that's not quite as horrific because it's not as Frankenstein because it's like, oh, he's trying to, he's trying to bring Viv back from the brink and. Well, you know, there's a whole, okay, so. Well, I mean, it's also where the brain came from, too. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, there's but other... You, but you see him doing the work. Yeah. I mean... It, Spell it out. So, basically, what it is is um, uh, the family is attacked by the Grim Reaper, uh, who is the brother... Of Wonder Man. Of Wonder Man. Simon Williams. Basically, he looks at the visions as being an abomination. and to his a family. Disgrace, yeah, to his family and a disgrace to their name. In her effort to protect the family, Virginia... I won't say accidentally because it seemed like it was pretty she much on purpose, but she, uh, she kills, uh, the Grim Reaper and buries his body in the backyard. <coughs> so, uh, George and Nora, their next door neighbors, uh, or maybe they're across the street, I can't remember, but their neighbors, uh, dog goes burrowing in the vision's yard, uh, and he basically starts digging up the Grim Reaper's body. And the Grim Reaper, his weapon is this scythe, sky, scythe that's like attached to his arm. And electric, it, has like, it has like electric current running yeah, through like it. Yeah, like an electro vibroblade or whatever. And it electrocutes the dog. But it's not a quick, clean death. No, the I mean, fucked up. It's like smoking and its brain is all fried. Yeah, <laughs> like the dog is just... The, the panel of the dog just yelping in agony is just... Oh, oh God, that is, that is horrible. But Vision stumbles upon it. Right. And oh, I found this it, found this barbecued dog in the backyard. What, what should we do with it? And I guess that's what's so horrific about it is one, how the dog dies, what happens to it. But the vision in his effort to make things right takes the dog, vivisects it, and puts its brain into a synthoid body and gives this synthoid dog to his children as a companion. Where and then when George and Nora, their neighbors, come around saying like, "Hey, we're looking for our dog. Have you seen him?" Nope, I have no idea what you're talking about. How did that not like like How did the vision not say to himself, "You know, this is kind of messed up." I mean, logically, that seemed he he's looking at it, he's like, "Well, the dog's gonna die. 
I should probably go ahead and put it out of its misery. Secondly, I probably could use this as an opportunity to give something to my children that they've always wanted, always wanted, and in air quotes. I mean, it seems ridiculous, but in his line of thinking, it's almost a waste not, want not kind of situation. It's like I have a way to both solve this problem and create a plus for my family. I'm going to take advantage of this using my superior intellect. And plus the thing is, you know, if he told George and Nora what happened, he'd have to say, well, okay, your dog got electrocuted on my property. Well, how the hell did that happen? Well, he dug up a supervillain's dead body. Why is there a dead body in your backyard? Well, and then there's just this whole spiral mm-hmm. of lies, and it's him having to cover up to save his family. Right. There's a lot of covering up to save your family in this that just like continuously goes wrong, especially from his wife, who doesn't want to be the the person that is flawed and destroys the whole family, but ends up being flawed and destroys the whole family. Well, she's then, the weak link in the chain. And then saves, kind of saves the family at the end. Not really. Kind of. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing is where Virginia's problem starts is, you know, first off, you know, she probably could have got away with saying that she killed the Grim Reaper in self-defense, but I think she probably realized that if she admitted that, then people would, that would just confirm everyone's suspicions that the visions are an abomination and they shouldn't exist at all. Or at the very least, they're a danger to the community because a supervillain attacks them on week one. Oh, and also they bring up that they have recordings of everything and if someone asked for the recordings, they would in fact give those recordings to the police. Right. And that, that comes up a few times where it's like, well, we can't not show you that we did this, but... Well, the, 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 one of my favorite lines, and it's used by both Vision and Virginia in this book, um, is that who can confirm this? I can confirm this. Like, yeah. but that's, and if a human being said that, you'd understand the fallacy and the folly in that, like, right away. But to a machine, it's like, I'm confirming this for you now. That literally could not. <laughs> I, w- I will email you my recordings of it for it happened. Who can confirm this? I can confirm this. What the, what? Yeah, but, you know, to hide her crime of killing the Grim Reaper, she's spotted by someone Mm -hmm. and winds up being blackmailed. And then that creates a bigger problem in which she accidentally kills another person. (laughs) Yeah. So earlier in the book, you know, there's an incident where uh, Virginia's classmate, CK, the boy she Approaches, yeah, approaches Vin. Yeah, Vin, and Vin's kind of having a bit of an existential crisis at school. And this is after you know Virginia uh, Viv has been attacked, and she's offline. Uh, CK approaches um, Vin because he's like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm a study partners with your sister. You know, can I contact her?" And the thing is, she's not dead, but she's not online either, and. CK is trying to approach this like, oh, your sister's sick. Let me get her phone number so I can talk to her about this this whole thing. And you know, he's so unaware of how once again when they when the visions go down, it's pretty damn extraordinary. It's not normal. And in some fit of, I, I don't even know if it was really anger. It was it was almost like frustration, like human why can't you understand what it is i'm trying to 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 get across to you right because ck's gets really belligerent and loud with vin and basically long story short vin chokes him out and he goes unconscious <laughs> later on basically um 
CK's father, I guess some night goes by the vision's house to try and speak with the parents about the whole situation and smooth things over. But when he does that, he catches Virginia in the backyard burying the body of the Grim Reaper. And he records it and sends the video to her saying, like, hey, I know what you did. We need to talk. <clears throat> and basically, you see how the lies kind of build up on each other. And this whole situation begins to spiral out of control. And they don't. Catch, the visions don't catch a break, though. I mean, even when they try to fix stuff, it ends up going wrong. Like, well, it's, it's, it's that age old adage, you know, you can't fix something. You can't fix a lie by lying more about it, right? You know, you, right. you, you can't, not that that's an actual adage. I mean, that's paraphrasing. No one actually has ever said that before. I don't think, you know, you can't, you know, your grandmother used to tell you, you can't fix a lie by lying more. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, hand it down through the ages. That old chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> that old children's tail from the sea all um, these southern colloquialisms I but just don't get them. you know you it's better to stand on the ground and tell the truth and to climb a tree and tell a lie and what they continuously do is climb higher into that tree until you get to the top and there's no place else to go which is really the apex of the of the the story now that actually is an adage let's just put that out there if you've ever heard that before good on you one of my favorite scenes is when um vivian confronts Virginia, Virginia. Sorry. Okay. When Virginia confronts, um, CK's dad after the, after he does kind of try to blackmail her or whatever, and he shoots her and the bolts go through her and shoots his kid. That was some shit. Yeah. That whole, I don't know. You didn't like that. Well, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, it telegraphs what's going to happen from a mile Dad? away. He's like coming out. And, right. And I just heard like yakety sax playing in my head. <laughs> God, you're a cold hearted bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all were anticipating the other shoe dropping and you're over here listening. See, I didn't see that at all. I mean, I saw it coming, but I didn't, I didn't see it as like hokey or like. Oh, he shot his son. Whoop de doo. I, I saw it as like, of course, like yeah. Jesus Christ. Of course, this kid's gonna get that fucking gets shot. That gets back to what yeah. I was saying. Like, where like even when she tries to do something right, like she can't. I mean, she came there with the intent not to necessarily like kill everyone, but like to go like see how she could disarm the situation. Right. And she ends up instead getting shot, but not letting herself get shot. Instead, letting the bullets pass through her, and then that kid gets shot. And it's just like ah. But I she can't. tries to fix the situation. By punching his dad, CK's dad, so hard that he goes into a coma. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that too, right? Yeah. Now, I'm, you know what? Thanks a lot, Amos. I'm going to read this book a second time, and the only thing that's going to happen is fucking Benny Hill as soon as I like, well, I really like this part of the story, and now it's a joke to me. <laughs> Why don't I just see like all the visions like running around the dog, and then like... There's a big boobed vision that came out of nowhere for some reason. Oh, anti, anti-big boobed vision. <laughs> She's half silicone. <laughs> Jesus. There's a robot joke there somewhere. 50% silicon, 50% yeah. silicone. There you go. <laughs> Good on you, sir. Silicone Valley. You know that, uh, you know, it's. Never mind. Stop Uh, shaming us, Amos. Shame us. Shame us. Stop shame us. Uh, So that, and that's the first arc. It ends there, pretty pretty much. much. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't want to ruin the second arc no. because it's so good. Um, it's a lot more of the same. Um, but shit gets darker. Yeah. But it does get darker, and um, Virginia begins to unwind even more. Well, it's right about the, the, the jump between the first and second arc where she starts repeating herself, where her words keep trailing and she starts to say the same words at the end of the sentence over and over again. Yeah. And she's stuttering and mm-hmm. it, it becomes really obvious. Something's wrong with her. And it sounds like saying it out loud. It sounds kind of dumb, but reading it, I felt like it was pretty effective. Like it, I don't know, like broken computers repeat themselves. Yeah. Duh. But like the things that she repeats are interesting. It's not just like it's the thing she hangs on. Yeah, the things that she hangs on are, are is neat. <clears throat> In general, this is more than just a book about robots trying to be human. It's more about like Rosa from the Jetsons wanting to be real. It it's about like uh, well, it's it's a it's a it's a robot, not just. And again, this is that point where you know the Vision understands that he is not real, that he is synthetic, and he's constantly giving his family ideas on how to appear normal but be synthetic. Right? Mm-hmm. This is how I've maintained, and this is what I've done. But they're such new creatures that they're going to have to go through this process similarly to how he did. Right? And he's kind of discounting the years that he spent as a tool for Ultron and fighting against the Avengers and then becoming a tool for the Avengers and then becoming his own person and going through relationships and trying to just say like, okay, well just from the get go, we're a family and not giving them any choice in that matter. Right. Uh, Well, he does talk about how he makes the offer to Virginia. Once he created her, he's like, Hey, we could do this, you know, or not if you choose. And, I don't know. I guess in some way, maybe she didn't have a choice. Yeah. Because who I mean, the hell else would accept her? Exactly. That's that's the thing is that yeah, I right. brought you here. And, and, I, and I guess that's sort of a commentary on life in general that none of us asked to be here, but we're all forced into this existence. Right. And we all have to deal with it in our own way. And that's sort of the folly. But we all accept the fact that we're humans. And, you know, despite our differences, you know, there's some common ground there. Yeah. And the vision has more purpose than his family does. The vision is a superhero. He's got a job. Yeah. I mean, like even just his job working for the government gives him something throughout the day. The rest of them are being told what their purpose is rather than going out and fulfilling an actual purpose. For and themselves. the vision had that purpose from day one. Right. He was going to be like Ultron's puppet, but then he was a superhero. Right. Well, and you know, to a certain extent, you know, Virginia thinks that her purpose is to kill the Grim Reaper. She realizes the mess she's made after she's made it, but in, I mean, her programming for all intents and purposes was carried out properly, like working as intended as, you know, any good dev will tell you. Uh, that's not a bug. It's working as intended. Calm down. <laughs> Worked on my machine. Yep. I've tested this on at least six devices in my office. It's fine. Um, but there's, there's a lot to be said for the lack of choice there. Um, and the fact that they kind of all, I mean, because vision, he gets kind of unwound by the fact that his family is unwound. Uh, he's mostly okay in the beginning, right? Because he's, he's a, he's a known thing, right? Vision's a known quantity, um, his character and who he is. And so we, I, I think I'm thankful that the book really explores the other three characters a lot rather than just having them as like additional things inside this house that mm-hmm. vision lives in. Right. He's gone most of the time and it's the crazy, you know, shit that happens to the other three of them. That is really is the, the real focus of the story. Um, and you know, without giving too much away, I mean like it ultimately pits vision against the rest of the world and the choices that he makes. Yeah. 
It's fantastic. I'm doubting my memory now. Do we understand exactly why Vision made his family? Is that really explained? Or Because I just assumed it was to be normal. But does he ever say exactly why he created his family? For what end reason? Because he wanted to kill the Grim Reaper and his brother. (laughs) He wanted to bait him. Yeah, it was a really complicated scheme. (laughs) No, I mean, but he sort of views having a family as being... An extension of being normal. He's like, well, I've lived my life. I've done my thing on my own. I think the whole thing was that he purged himself of emotions beforehand. Yeah. And from there, you know, is where he ventured out on this, I guess, experiment. Well, it's an experiment, but I think it's also got a lot to do with him wanting to fit into the neighborhood he was moving into. I'm taking this job in D.C. I'm going to be, you know, a consultant. No, go on. No, I'm saying you, you're, you appear to be discounting that theory, but I, the only reason I'm discounting that is like, I'm, I'm seeing like him vision who can fly like pretty quickly and like move around the world. Like he's like, well, I got to take this job in DC, so I might as well create a family. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I mean, you might be right, but like, I just have never thought of it. So it's making me just like triple think myself like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Like, do people do that? Or like, that, well, I got this job in DC, and I need to look good, so I, I mean, might as well do have shit a family. All the time. Yeah, people, say. people, people make those those decisions all the time that are counterintuitive for their own existence and survival. Is you know, this is completely you know against everything that I've I've known previously, but it seems like it's the right thing to do. You have, and, yeah, you're and, making and a that, point. Actually, that yeah. that topic comes up repeatedly. Is that this is clearly wrong. But it feels like the right thing to do in this moment. So I'm going to do it. The dog, the the murder, the cover up, the lying to the police. Like the vision that existed before this this miniseries would have never had reason to lie to the police. Yeah. Just wouldn't happen. So, you know, there's a lot of this that's, you know, you sh- you know that it's not the right thing to do, but you do it because it feels right. Well, there's also a moment in the book that I think is also very telling and it's it's kind of a chilling idea in and of itself but when they're talking about Victor Mancha and you know he talks about his time with the runaways and his time in Avengers AI and how that eventually came to an end there's that image of him sitting in his home for a month doing nothing until the Avengers approached him and asked him to do what they asked him to do I won't go into that right and that's the thing. That is a bachelor lifestyle for some, for a robot. It's like, well, if I have nothing to do, I'll just go offline and wait until I'm needed. Man, but that's at least weird. with a family, you have something to do. Yeah. I mean, in, in your off time, you can festoon your home with the, the trappings of things that you've collected. I mean, again, a robot doesn't have a need for things, but this gives him a reason to have a place to put things because he has a home now. I mean, the, he knew, and he basically left the Avengers to take this job. So without his primary, you know, source of, of interactivity with the rest of the world, right. As a, as an Android, you know, he's coming to this place and you're right. He didn't have to move to the suburbs of Washington, DC. Didn't have to do it. Is he not still in the Avengers in this book? He, he, he is more or less, but the thing he talks about is that he had to take a job because the Avengers weren't paying anyone's salary anymore. But then even the job he has in DC 
wasn't really paying him anything because he was a liaison between yeah. the Avengers and Washington. And basically, he was living off his savings. So he was kind of hoping, like, wow, I hope this job becomes permanent and I start drawing an income because right. I don't know how much longer <clears throat> my money is going to last. And that's a real, real world concern. You know? Luckily, he's got he a family to support. He does have a family to support, yeah. But, I mean, I guess all he really has to worry about is that electric bill. <laughs> but <laughs> with their solar power. Uh, what? Uh, I don't know. I, he may have bought, bought his house flat out. I don't know. He probably put cash down. I don't think he's paying on a mortgage. He doesn't have a car. He just used that, um, that e currency. <laughs> Bitcoin. Bitcoins. <laughs> he just, he just invests a bunch in it. I mean, he definitely could work the system. I mean, oh, yeah. When he sleeps at night, he could just be generating. <laughs> he's just Bitcoin. He's just mining, mining bitcoins all evening. Yeah. Damn, I'm trying to be a robot. <laughs> But not a garbot. I'm not trying to have somebody Hell throw no. together some trash. <laughs> I think oh. I think we got to the point where we can do some final thoughts. Since Amos, you've spoke the least. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the first stab at final thoughts. Final thoughts. I'm guessing I'll go last as usual. Okay, good. <laughs> You have you you have to speak. It's not a visual podcast. He is secretive, Amos. Though I mean, it was all right. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> Why do you even come over to my house? <laughs> now, I I I had really high expectations going into it, and I really wanted to love it. I, I didn't dislike it, but. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about this run. I need to unpack this a little bit. Yeah. Did you feel... I mean, obviously we knew that you thought it was funny that a child was shot. Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't <laughs> It wasn't funny. It was just... Just trying to manipulate your words. Yeah. It, was the tone what you had a problem with? No. I, did you feel disconnected from them because they weren't real? Sort. I did sort of have... Because I, I have not read that much... That, I haven't read that many Marvel stories that feature Vision specifically. Mm. So I don't really know a lot about him. And it seems like, so he's not exactly, so he's a, you know, he's a synthesoid. And the way he describes it, he's not a robot. He's a living being that was just artificially created. He's, but he doesn't, he doesn't have emotion. He's probably equivalent to, say, Bishop or Ash from the Alien movies, like he's made Remember? of. He's never seen an Alien. Oh movie. Jesus, man! But you're okay. gonna fix that before. What uh, about eventually. Blade Runner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. probably like one of those things. A replicant. Yeah. Replicant. Thank you. Thank you. What? Uh, what level is he? I can't remember what they call it. I don't know if it's a level. Level three, I think, are the ones that are supposed to be kept off planet. I'm trying to okay. think of like the test, and I keep saying in my head Mind Kampf, but it's not Turing that. test. Is that the Turing the test? Turing test. The Why Turing did I went straight to Minecraft? I just that <laughs> that so messed up. That question in Blade Runner where they ask what he would do if he found a tortoise on its back is like one that's seared into my brain forever. Yeah, I love that. We about to get that new the Voigt the Voigt Kampf test. What is that? What Voigt Kampf? That's a Blade yeah. Runner thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Is it named for the creators of the replicants in, in the Blade Runner mythology? No, no, no. That's an actual real world thing, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, it? but it's the test that the Turing test is based off of 
they t- they talk about it in Blade Runner. It's called the Voight Kampf test. I'm pretty sure the Mein Kampf test, <laughs> which would make sense where I got that from. <laughs> We're waiting for him to hey Google this. He's an iOS user now. The Voight Kampf is a polygraph-like machine used by the LAPD's Blade Runners to assist in the testing. Oh, never mind. It's not real. <laughs> no, it's not a real thing. To see whether they're a replicant or not. Yeah, so the Turing test is done by the Voight Kampf machine. Yes. And the Turing test is a is a very real thing. Yes. Yeah. The Turing test is a real thing. The Voight Kampf thing is not. Yes. Correct. Got it. Edward James almost uses that Turing test, though. Edward James almost used that Turing test? What was that? Uh, he didn't in the film, actually. He's just a, he's the cop. You know, he's reprising his role. Yeah, I heard, I heard. It's so good. Just briefly, ever, ever so briefly. That movie better not suck. I mean, it's got an amazing director attached to it, man. Yeah, it's also the same guy that brought us Prometheus. Which was not as bad as everyone said it was. That's Am too I right? true. That's too true. It's not a horrible film, man, but it's it's kind of disappointing. Can we go back to why Amos doesn't like this comic again? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't dislike it. I... He did say he didn't dislike it. He said that like, very pointedly. <sighs> you just didn't care for it? Well, uh, no, it's... It didn't mean Jack. I wanted to like it more than... I, it was like Interstellar. I went into it with super high expectations, yeah, and it was just pretty good. I can see that. Fair Interstellar enough. is okay. It's got great organ music and beautiful panoramic shots, but yeah. panoramic shots. But at but, the uh, end, there's still a black hole that somehow is in a children's library, and I don't understand Don't get it. me started on sci-fi movies that take the easy road out by fucking throwing someone in a black hole. <laughs> we just go in the black hole. We got nothing else to do. <laughs> but And the answer is always in there. You know so, what's in there? Nothing. That's what's in a black hole. I like that. <laughs> Amos hasn't spoken much. So let's have him speak, and then Dave just. <laughs> um, You're not allowed to speak now, Dave. <laughs> Damn it! It's like the episode of The Simpsons when you're waiting for Maggie to speak, and everyone keeps talking over her. <laughs> I'm the Maggie. Of the you podcast. are. That's why I said you were the pacifier all night. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I think putting Vision in this scenario, I had a really hard time establishing a baseline of what his motivations were, how his mind works, and by extension, how his family's minds work. Um, It seemed like, you know, there's supposed to be these extremely intelligent, capable sort of better than human beings like and and then at the same time less than human like say data from star trek but they just fuck everything up and uh it leads to a lot of loss of life and vision kind of ignores that like mm-hmm. you know he he is responsible indirectly for the murders of a number of people but that's and, oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. and it just doesn't really get addressed for what it is. But that's the thing. I don't think they fuck things up. I think a lot of that is just them reacting to human beings because there wouldn't have never been a problem if it wasn't for the Grim Reaper acting irrational about their existence. And then, you know, that would have never led to Virginia having to murder him to protect her family. Now, you know, the whole thing with uh, Vin, if the one little girl accepted him for what he is, which I understand why you wouldn't be able to, but she's the one who point who puts it out there. 
you're different than me and somehow your existence is wrong. Yeah. Or CK being really belligerent with him and not understanding, hey, man, back off. I can't give you my sister's phone number because we don't have a phone. No, you're not going to shove anything up our metal buttholes. You know, that whole exchange was CK being aggressive. You know, a lot of that stuff would have been avoided, I think, if people had have tried to have been more accepting, but pretty much everyone had made up their mind about them. Wait a second, though. That that's like saying, okay, does all right that altercation. I'm not between CK and Vin. I mean, his dad uh, preempted his own son's death. I mean, like if he hadn't tried to be a piece of shit and record that and blackmail, you know, Virginia. Wait, well, it, but no, but if the the incident hadn't occurred with CK being aggressive with Vin, Vin would have never choked him out. Thus. CK's father would have never had to have gone by there. And it wouldn't have mattered if he did because there was no Grim Reaper to bury. You're talking about this chain of events independent of responsibility for actions. I'm talking about, okay, in, in the, the altercation between Vin and CK, does CK attack Vin? Does he? No, he threatens he, him. He, yeah. He what? He, he, he verbally threatens him. Right, but that doesn't justify... And then you would think that I don't really understand like how uh, Vision programs his family and what they're supposed to know, but they should be aware how strong they are. They should at least know that with great power <laughs> comes great responsibility. And I say that like as if only a that Spider-Man old man joke. Had, if only that old man, Uncle Ben, hadn't antagonized that thief into. Killing him. But, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. The thing is, if one kid gets aggressive with another kid in the cafeteria, schoolyard, or whatever, and kid A punches kid B, that's a pretty equal fight. Robot kid punching kid A, that's not an uneven fight. That's not an even fight. But the thing is, Vin, instead of punching the kid, which he would have knocked his skull off, really presses the nerve under his jawbone and knocks him unconscious. To fight to totally avoided. Yeah. Fight not I, totally I avoided. That, Flying that, away would a, be totally avoided. It's still totally an assault. Yeah, it's still true. It's still. It, look, I didn't shoot you, but I yes, I choked her out. But I didn't shoot her. I could have. I could have killed her, but instead, I just choked her out and I left her there. Obviously, I'm in the right here, right? Well, so let's let me, let me give you a real world example of that because what's happening is that you're talking about responsibility and you're talking about causality, right? So. Real world scenario. My sister and I, my sister is younger than I am. And she choked you out, didn't she? No. <laughs> Quite the opposite. My mother would get on to me all the time because I never wanted to fight my sister. I would put her like, I, I didn't want to because I was much bigger than she was, right? I wasn't trying to punch my sister in the face. Like, that's fucked and up. And your mother was trying to get you to? No. <laughs> That's what that sounds What the fuck is this? Choose your own adventure, David's past? No, quit trying to turn to page 63. So there's, so my sister would punch me and scratch me and try to, you know, cause she was younger and she was, she's always been scrappy. If you, if you knew my sister, you'd probably understand a little bit better where I'm coming from on You're this. Right. She's, she's pretty resilient. Scrappy. She's very scrappy. And she always wanted to prove to me that she wasn't inferior or younger or smaller in stature. It's always been like, a, you know, her thing to prove that she's equal. 
which is fine. I understand that. But so she would come at me and I don't have any desire to hit my younger sister, right? Or mm-hmm. to do the things to me that she's trying to, or to do the things to her that she's trying to do to me. So I would, I would hold my sister as hard as I could to try and subdue her. So to your point, just fly away. I could just run around the yard while my sister runs after me. But my whole thing was to try and subdue the aggression. Like All I don't right. want to hurt you. I want you to understand that I can end this fight by putting you down. And my mother would be like, you're going to choke your sister to death. And I wasn't putting my hands on her throat, but I was holding her so that she would calm down right. and she'd squirm out and my arm would get around her neck or something like that. And my some mom people would freak out. won't let you walk away. They won't. And, and this was a situation where Vin is being told repeatedly to be normal. If he flies to the roof of the school, he's a weirdo. Don't, don't fly to the roof of the school. Don't, you know, just leave in the middle of the day, stay and finish your class. So maybe, Vulcan gripping or Voltron, Vulcan, 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 Vulcan pinch. <laughs> Pitching the Vulcan, guys Voltron Vulcan. Yeah. Um, you know, doing that is any better than flying away? It's not. It's and it's a bad and I disagree with that because if he would have just flew away, that's just as weird as like pressing a button on someone's like But neck that's the statement then, he makes is that your machine just like me and I know how you work. Yes. So you turn me yeah. off. I can turn you it's off. It's a coolest point. Wait a minute. He can't turn him off. Yes, he can. He no. just did. He turned him off using his nerve. He yeah. simply no, shut no, no, his no, system But down. how does the human turn the robot off? Well, I mean, he's technically shoot got him off. in the head. Yeah. I don't know. All right. But I mean, to, EMP. to Sequoia's point, like another two kids. It, tell me that that wouldn't have gone any differently with a real kid. Like Vin doesn't do anything that a real kid wouldn't do. He's just spacing out. A real kid, and he's not answering the other kid's question. That's his only crime in that situation, right? Is he well he's and, being until spacey. he chokes the kid? That's his crime. Well, but no, but that's the thing. There was no reason for him to get hostile with him, other than the fact that he was not getting his question answered. Wait, there's no reason for who to CK. There's no for CK to get aggressive with, right? Him, but that doesn't than, justify attacking him. So you're saying if some kid went up to another autistic kid and starts yelling at him and berating him. Where does the autistic thing come from? Because the thing is, being autistic by a lot of standards to some people is considered not normal. You're not behaving like normal people. And so he's trying to do everything he can to get a rise out of him. Yeah, Right. He's trying to push every button he's got, like including calling him names about him being a machine and being different and telling, and then even physically threatening him with violence that pushes Vin to a place where he feels he needs to shut it down. And so, it's, it's, so, a, it's a display of power. I mean, like, and I'm, I'm not going to argue that it isn't, but any kid who hits another kid or throws a block at them in preschool is making a display of power. And that's right. fine if it's equal footing, but we're talking about a robot but and you a kid. Are, you're coming from the perspective that this is some fully matured unit that understands its place in the universe, and it doesn't. And that's my point. The Vision, who should know better, brought these, let's just say, creatures into this community that were not ready for the interaction and it led to a lot of pain and death and he was not made to uh he he wasn't given responsibility for that it was never addressed but you're saying so that because of that he doesn't deserve to have a family or for that matter, anybody who gives birth to a kid who wants to become a serial killer <laughs> should have never bothered. No, but I'm saying. But no, I, is, I, 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 but, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm going, yeah, I'm leaping fucking far ahead, but that's the thing. Then You're don't, saying. Don't create them as like strong as weapons. So make them like. But they're not human. They're not as frail as us. You're missing my point. Like, I'm, like if, if he would have made them more like, like children. Him. 
and la- not don't have like superhero abilities, then it, a schoolyard fight would be evenly matched. But by not giving them any responsibility to, of their power, he could have not given them power well, see, to now, worry about crazy responsibility. So, so, and this is this is one of the awesome things about this book is that right now what we're talking about is what God did. Like you were like, and I don't even believe in God, but like you're legitimately talking about like what people believe God did was make them in his image. So when you're saying that this God should have made lesser versions of himself to put into like, you know, regular society, I mean, how does, how does a creature do that? He did the thing that he felt was most right is that he isn't a God. He tried to make creatures equal to him. He fails in that. And I think that that's his folly is that he fails to see that far ahead, just what this will mean, but that doesn't make it any worse or any better or place any more blame on his shoulders for what he did than a normal human being that brings life into this world. All right. Your kid punched my kid. Well, fuck. I was at work. I didn't know my kid was going to punch your kid. Your kid's probably well, you shitty him better. Your kid. Hey, what did your kid do to my kid to make him want to punch him in the first place? Right. So this was a good book. Yes. It, it, uh, it brings up a lot of different kind of um, philosophical, ethical dilemmas. And it's, it's neat that we're able to have a conversation with this much vigor about uh, a comic book. That only has Them and vigor, if you will. Those are the cousins <laughs> of this family. And that's, I, should, I should say, I don't disagree with you, Amos, but I, I, I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate or what, but, you know, <laughs> so, I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, so we're, we're kind of cresting. Is that a word? Yeah. That's peaking. Yeah. We're, um, there's definitely been a lot of peaking cause y'all been yelling at these mics. Sorry. Uh, so I'm not going to give you guys too much time to talk about last thoughts because a few of us need to get out of here quickly. Dave, <laughs> then Sequoia, um, give me high points. I mean like Blake quickly or Amos quickly, not Dave quickly. You mean like Dave, I've left you till the end of the podcast to give your thoughts on yeah. this quickly. Give me your two, no. give me your two high points of the book and who you'd recommend this to. Uh, for me, the high point of the book is how much, like, uh, we talked, you think you mentioned layers earlier. There's so much in this book. Uh, and hats off to Tom. I can always appreciate someone that goes the extra mile to stuff a book as full as this one is. It's got philosophy. It's got tie-ins to really deep, rich uh, Marvel Universe and Avenger lore. It's got really great ethical questions right in, inside of it. Uh, and it really does a great job of, as we've been arguing here for the last couple of minutes, you know, what are ethics versus what are morals? Which of these is more important um, in our world today? And I, I, I think a lot about that stuff just in general. Uh, and so for those reasons, I think that it's great. Low point of the book for me, it's it, that it's not for everybody. I don't think that the average comic book reader would pull as much out of this as someone who maybe appreciates gr- more graphic novels, less uh, you know, trade paperbacks. Which is again why it's kind of puzzling why this is just done as a regular six issue, two sets of six issue trades, right? That just seems kind of strange to me. Um, but I think that if you, if you have an appreciation for really well written, almost novella, uh, esque, you know, graphic novels, this is definitely right up your alley. Uh, as far as high points, like I said, I, I do like the length of the book. Like I said, 12 issues. That's a, that's a lot of time to really tell a sweet story. So I'm glad it didn't go any longer than it did. Or any shorter for that matter. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad Marvel gave him the time to kind of <clears> let <throat> it breathe. Um, and low points. Yeah, I agree with Dave. Like, I don't feel like, cause I can't remember if this thing won an Eisner 
or not. I don't have they been the winner's been announced. I know that it got um it it was in the short list, like it was in the running with three other books. Yeah, I can't remember, but but the thing is 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 that Marvel's going to have to I, th- I think it it's it's deserving. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that came out the last couple of years. Um from Marvel and I kind of hope they do more stuff like this as you know less punch them up and and more you know let's really deal with some some you know some feelings and emotions but I don't think the Marvel that we're going to have coming up by this summer or this fall is going to be that Marvel anymore I think they're really trying to take it back old school mm-hmm. um I just appreciate it cuz it's just damn good writing yeah. and, you know it you don't really see that anymore so uh, I really enjoyed the book as well, guys. It was one of my favorite of last year. I'm glad that Sequoia suggested it. And I, I'm happy to have all of you guys in a room again and been able to vibe and argue and whatnot. It's good to have the team together. It's good that we assembled. Yeah, I'm wearing new underwear, too, so I've really been comfortable. That's good. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure what we're going to be doing next week. I hope that maybe we do some Star Wars movie reviews or maybe talk about uh, how awesome Guardians of the Galaxy was because it's coming out, right? Yeah, it'll be out uh, next Thursday. So hopefully I'll have this edited and ready to go by then. I probably will. Uh, I don't really have anything else to talk about other than go read this book. This is one to read by Tom King and art by Gabriel Hernandez Walta. Good stuff. So, whoa, I just clipped. So from this room to all rooms, to large rooms to small rooms, to bathrooms to washrooms, I say, read a fucking comic. What about brooms? See you next weekend. <laughs>